Beloved brands know customer relationships are everything. That's why over 130,000 trust Clavio to power smarter digital relationships across their websites, emails, SMS, and reviews. And now there's Clavio AI, your guide to smarter insights, decisions, work, and results. Brands like Everyman Jack trust Clavio AI to personalize product recommendations that keep customers coming back. Discover Clavio AI at clavio.com slash box. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com backslash box. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. Ken Swanson, Arrowhead Pride. This is the AP Laboratory. Thank y'all for coming in and hanging out with us. Going to do a little bit of a hybrid show today because the, the national nightmare is over. The Kansas City Chiefs have signed another high-profile free agent to improve this football team. The defensive side of the ball got better today as Jaron Reed signs with the Kansas City Chiefs. We'll talk about that and more here in a second uh, with my dear pals. And by dear pals, I mean these two. Find them on Twitter at Chief in Carolina. Matthew Lane, the handlebar for Stash Week looks incredible sorry guys i just got back from the regional qualifiers don't worry we made it we are (laughs) going to the championship we will make it guys don't worry i won dodgeball me my daughter my son we won we made it regional qualifier knocked out we are on to the next i'm out of breath i'm gonna have to throw it over to craig stout this the most handsome bald man alive don't let anybody tell you differently those voters don't know what they're talking about I'm not sure I know what I what what Maddie's talking about here. I I must have missed that this week. Uh, was there a competition for handsomest bald man or something like that? Because I surely don't deserve to be involved. Well, I I have thrown your hat in the ring. Oh or man! Or should I say your bald head into the ring? Well, I've thrown I've thrown your hat into the ring to expose your bald head. Oh. That's what I. Buddy, that about. was such, that was a good joke. I'm so glad you got there. I know, and I wish I would have thought of it initially. I'm so disappointed. Uh, thank you to everyone who participated in Stash Week. Uh, thank you to anyone who donated to the Therese Paler Scholarship Fund. Uh, we did not hit the 150 sales in the three and a half days. It came very close, which is very impressive. We set the bar high for Starburns, but we got to 125. Maddie had to do handlebars. I joined him. Uh, and so I am, I am donning that right now. Craig has a beautiful stash going. Thank you guys all for, for participating in that. Uh, if you want to buy the Casey draft guide, go to gum.co slash Casey draft guide, 21 promo code lab gets it to you for eight bucks. Uh, I am so excited to, to get this thing released. The writing's done. The hard part is the, 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 the layout and stuff is, is in the process right now. And so we're working on that. So uh, let's just jump right into this here because we have a lot of news here. Jaron Reed has signed with the Kansas City Chiefs, came over from Seattle, was asked he asked to be released, uh, released, wanted wanted to move on, and is now uh here in Kansas City. A one year deal, five million dollars guaranteed, worth up to seven million dollars this year. Uh Craig already jumping in doing a little bit of work on reed what you think 
Um, I, I think the Chiefs fans see kind of his numbers and are going to jump to the natural thing, which, oh, the Chiefs got another defensive line pass rusher, and here we go. Jerron Reed is not the same level of a pass rusher, or not the same type of a pass rusher as Chris Jones, Turk Wharton, these kind of bursty, you know, smaller guys. This is more of a Steve Spagnolo guy. He's over 300 pounds. He wins with a lot of power. He's a very technically sound guy. He will win late in reps. He's probably never going to be the first guy to the quarterback, but he is going to consistently crush the pocket, win against double teams, something that, you know, a lot of Chiefs defensive linemen can't do particularly well. Jerron Reed does it excellently. Constantly working, using some heavy hands and a decent amount of body control to kind of knife into the backfield. I've just watched a few games here and I've seen him really kind of destroy help blockers. You know, and when you're playing on the interior, you're going to see a lot of help. Chris Jones sees a lot of help because teams need to focus on good pass rushers like that. Jerron Reed sees a lot of help in Seattle without a good pass rusher near him, and he still wins consistently enough. He He's a dangerous guy. It's just not going to be one of these guys that's going to knife through and penetrate into the backfield and be at the quarterback in two seconds or less. He's going to win a little bit later in the rep. And that's the thing. I think that Jerron Reed is very much a Steve Spagnuolo type of nose tackle, even when you're looking at him getting pressure, which he's a pretty good pass rusher on the interior it's a guy he's doing it through power, through his technique. He's not going to be confused for Chris Jones and how quick he is, this lateral agility or his explosion off line of scrimmage. That doesn't matter. I mean, this is a good deal. You're paying a guy that at one point in time had double-digit sacks is only getting a guaranteed $5 million. At most, he's making up to seven. That's phenomenal return on investment if you get anywhere close to those numbers. The last time that Reed was super effective as a pass rusher came in 2018. Frank Clark was there with him then. Frank Clark will be with him here now. He will be the third pass rush option on this team. A lot of stuff should open up for him because he's kind of been the focal point of that Seahawks defense for the last couple seasons. And it's not like he didn't have sack production last year or some disruption last year. He still had six and a half sacks. And frankly, at a $5 million guarantee hit, six and a half sacks, that's a really good value for six and a half sacks if he just kind of gets that similar production there. But like to to uh you know to Craig and Maddie's point, you know he's going to be lined up with Frank Clark again, and he's also going to be lined up with Chris Jones some here. But interestingly enough, we don't know exactly where Chris Jones will be lining up from Lewis Riddick, and if Lewis Riddick says it, he's heard some stuff from Kansas City. That's just how this works. <laughs> Lewis Riddick's well-connected with the Kansas City Chiefs. Expect to see Chris Jones play more defensive end on first and second down and stay inside on third down. Reed acquisition is going to make the Chiefs defensive line much better and more multiple that from Lewis Riddick of ESPN. Already out there. Maybe we're seeing a little bit more Chris Jones at defensive end, Matthew. And this is something that we theorized when Steve Spagnuolo first came here. We talked about, especially that year, I believe it was reported that Chris Jones was playing or was walking around like 285 pounds or something the year that he was holding out, got to Chiefs camp late, very late in the process. He was very light. And we were thinking maybe he was trying to play defensive end. 
it hasn't really come to fruition. They've done it here and there out of necessity, but it's not something they've done long-term, but it sounds like it could be on the tables this year. And it'll be nice to see if Chris Jones shows some development at that spot with the whole offseason. That first year, he didn't get the offseason because he was holding out. Last year, there was COVID. There hasn't really been a chance for this coaching staff to teach him how to play defensive end. So maybe you do get that this year. Because I do want to say, as much as I called for Chris Jones to play defensive end, it hasn't looked good. He doesn't look like an athletic mismatch that often on the edge like he does on the inside. His run defense is better on the outside, but he still has to understand angles, his responsibility for the play. We all remember the long Derrick Henry touchdown from two years ago where he just couldn't hold contain from the backside. He's got to learn how to play the position, but if he has the whole offseason to do so, it could go a long way in helping this Chiefs defensive line get the most talent out there at once. And that's the that's the kind of key there. That Titans game, he was thrown in there because of injuries. Like that wasn't the plan. Like it, it, he may have he's always wanted to play defensive end because those guys get more sacks, they get more glory, they get more money. I mean, frankly, although defensive tackles catching up and Chris Jones makes plenty, trust me. He he's doing great, but <laughs> he he has wanted to play defensive end. The entire time. Steve Spagnuolo talked about it last year, about how Chris is constantly bothering him, wanting to play defensive end, and so they might do a little bit of that last year. Well, they really didn't. They did it in a dime, a handful of snaps. Didn't really have him play in base downs at all on the end, but last year they had a whole bunch of base down defensive ends. This year with some guys gone, Alex Okafor gone, Tano Passigno gone, Chris Jones makes a lot of sense as a first and second round, you know, a base down Buffalo down defensive end, a guy that can set the edge a little bit better, use that length, use that extension and that bull rush that he's good at to kind of set the edge against a tackle. And you could have Jerron Reed and Derek Naughty on the inside with Frank Clark or whoever on the opposite side there. And that's a good four man rotation. Now, when they get into the dime, Chris Jones is still going to kick inside. Like, make no mistake, Chris Jones's best pass rush reps are from the inside. But now there's another guy that they've got to account for a little bit better. Turk Wharton was fun last year. Jerron Reed is going to be a different sort of animal for offensive linemen to have to handle. So Chris Jones is going to be able to see a couple more reps where maybe he's not the full focus on the interior as well. I think that just makes everybody a little bit better and gets Chris, you know, on the base downs to play a little bit more, you know, to his strengths against the run. Well, like, what if, you know, like, okay, we had we had a, a, a fantastic season from Chris Jones going out hunting sacks, going out and hu- hunting that disruption. Well, why don't you let him operate that way? Why don't you let him come and expect the entire offseason to play some edge on the base downs, maybe build his body to play along the edge on base downs, and then kick inside? Like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with building an entire plan and an entire offseason around? Chris, you wanted to come in light that one that one year? We're going to let you come in light this year. We're going to let you go out and hunt sacks on third down. We're going to let you play along the edge. I know it's kind it's a little bit of a risky proposition because, to Maddie's point, is not always look pretty when he's out there. But that could be I, 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 it's something to theorize, at least. So Derek Naughty, Jaron Reed playing on the base downs along the interior. Is that what we're thinking with Chris Jones as one of the edges across from Frank Clark? Is that what we're looking at here, Craig? 
I, I think that that's an extreme possibility as much as anything is at this point. It could also be complete smoke and the Chiefs are attacking defensive end early in the draft and they want to make sure everybody knows that they're that they're good and they don't need to, you know, draft a defensive end. But Lewis it does, doing him a favor. Yeah. <laughs> it does make some sense. Again, Jerron Reed is on a one-year deal. This doesn't tilt the scales one way or another. It does give them another guy that can win a few more reps inside that's good against the run, can kick Chris Jones outside if they so choose to do so, and it makes it to be where they don't have to have that early round defensive end. Doesn't mean that they won't, though. So I I, I just don't think that it's it's something that's really tilting the scales one way or another, even though I think Jerron Reed is a good player. Well, and that's the thing. This could be smoke because it wouldn't be that crazy for the Chiefs to pay five to seven million dollars for the third quote unquote defensive tackle. You lost Mike Pinnell last year, who you know played around a third of the snaps most weeks. If you get Jerron Reed in there replacing those 30% of the snaps, maybe eating into Tershawn Wharton's heavy snap count, like you just got better at a guy that's going to play at least half the snaps, if not more. So that's not a bad idea. Reed could just be a defensive tackle, and it would still make the team a lot better with the rotation. Jones, Nadi, Reed, and you still desperately need a defensive end. Or they could try to get them all three out there together. And make no mistake here, Jerron Reed has a gas tank. This man will play 75 to 80% of the snaps, and a fair amount of his production comes at the end of games. He's a little bit of a closer, and he'll keep going. So some of these rotations that we've seen because guys get tired a little too easy, they're, you know, they don't have the conditioning, that's not the problem with him. So bringing him in to be a quote-unquote Pinnell replacement does make some sense, but he's got a lot more than that. You see the 300 pounds, you may think, okay, he's going to need to be in a heavy rotation. He wasn't in Seattle, and some of his best reps were still at the end of games. Let's talk here a little bit about the draft, because, and you guys have kind of alluded to it a little bit here already. What does this do for the draft? How does this change their perspective? What you know, Do they have to go and address defensive end potentially still early in the draft? You know, what, what does this mean for this outlook? I still think they need to go draft edge early. And I still want them to go and draft edge early. Maybe this helps lighten the load and the responsibility and the need for the edge to contribute as immediately as they might have, um, which is still not great business to operate under anyway. Uh, but I still think this team needs to go address it within the top 100 picks flat out. Uh, go address edge, continue to add bodies to that defensive line because – and the t- defensive tackle, probably not, but in the edge position, there's some really quality edge players that fit the Steve Spagnuolo profile that probably need to get here in the building because the Chiefs are losing a lot of defensive linemen next year. Uh, Jaron, Jaron Reed, they're losing next year. Derek Knighty, as we currently sit here, they're losing him as well. Taco Charlton, gang. There's not a lot of players up front that are under contract after this season. So, Maybe not as big of a short-term need, which helps, I think, any edge that they want to develop and anything they get out of him, uh, you know, from a consistency standpoint, from a production is, is kind of gravy. But, you know, I still think this, this group desperately needs some more young, controllable talent up front. And uh, to throw it out there, Frank Clark, who are, you know, definitely was able to talk to Jerron Reed and say, hey, 
come here. You know, this is good structure, good organization. We'll take care of you over here. They did not restructure his contract this offseason yet. They may still. They still could. But they have not done that. They did that with Chris Jones. They did that with several other players. But they did not do that with Frank Clark. So if you are a Chiefs fan that would like to move on from Frank Clark, next year will be the year that they can get out of that contract. And if that's the case, you need an edge. So the Chiefs very well could sit at the end of round one and wait for value. If there's value at that position, especially considering what we talked about with offensive tackle last week and about arm length and about guys that fit in certain spots, if defensive end is the right value at the end of round one, it still makes sense because you will still get good usage out of that position in year one. And then that guy can step in and, you know, in these spots and make a massive impact in year two, three, four on the cheap it's really hard to find those sort of that sort of production on the cheap. I don't think veteran one-year deals should ever impact your draft strategy ever at all. Like it's the, you're getting a guy for exactly one season. You are buying him to be a mercenary for one year. That should have no impact on how you draft at all. Cause that's a long-term player. That said, even here, like there's just on top of that, there is absolutely no chance that, you should take defensive end off the table now. What you're hearing from Lewis Riddick is that Chris Jones might play outside on base downs, then kick back inside. What does that mean? You're still missing a pass rusher on the outside across from Frank Clark. You're in the exact same spot you were before. You just hopefully have a better player than Mike Dana for your base downs, but you still have no other legitimate pass rush threat on the other side. As Craig alluded to, there's a chance you could move on from Frank Clark in the next couple seasons. If that's the case, you'll need someone to replace him. Chris Jones' deal is up in two years. Sharon Reed's up is next year. You're losing all of these guys over the next couple seasons. If there's a defensive in there, like you still take him 100%. All right, we're going to take a break, and we'll be back with some of your questions right after this. Beloved brands know customer relationships are everything. That's why over 130,000 trust Clavio to power smarter digital relationships across their websites, emails, SMS, and reviews. And now there's Clavio AI, your guide to smarter insights, decisions, work, and results. Brands like Everyman Jack trust Clavio AI to personalize product recommendations that keep customers coming back. Discover Clavio AI at clavio.com slash box. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com backslash box. All right, we had some Jaron Reed news. Jaron, Jaron, we're going to learn that eventually, I'm sure. Uh, we're going to wait. Which one am I saying? It's the other one. Yeah, whatever Craig says, it's the opposite. <laughs> but we're, we're going to take a few of your questions still, even though we did have some news kind of just break right beforehand. Maybe we might try to get a few questions in uh, later in the week, perhaps. Uh, but we're going to just try to jump through, run through some of these here real quick. So Austin, the Batman left a five-star review. If you like the show, if you like the Arrowhead Pride podcast channel, leave a five-star review, ask a question, and we answer it. Uh, he asks, with Mahomes at the head of the team, the Chiefs can always win games, but do you see Veach's money-heavy push towards free agency as an indication that he thinks that we are in a win-now-not-later kind of situation? I think last year was entirely a win-now kind of approach. They tried to run it back with everybody they had. Uh, they spent a lot of money last year getting some guys locked up. 
I think this year has been, I don't think they've, I mean, I think they've had some aggressive money, just, you know, contracts pushed towards, but I mean, I wouldn't consider this just crazy spending. They haven't spent on anyone (laughs) and they haven't been able to close on deals, which means they aren't meeting some of the contractual demands of some of the guys that they've brought into this point. Uh, But I do think the Chiefs are paying for the sins a little bit of trying to run it back last year and it failed. They didn't win the Super Bowl. Uh, So that's it. Mike W79 thoughts on Jabril Cox speed and chase defender. I know that linebacker is not seen as a big need, but it would be nice to add some speed and he can't be any worse than Ben Neiman. That's from Mike out of Oregon. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, we like Jabril Cox. He is an athletic freak. He can move really well. I think you saw him at the start of last season that was coming over from North Dakota state, moving to the sec the game seemed a little bit big for him initially, but he grew into it as the year went along. It is certainly, you know, week eight of their season. He looked a lot more comfortable and he was able to kind of trigger and play a little bit faster as a linebacker. That said, guys like him don't typically make it out of round two. Like he he's too good of an athlete. He's a good player in coverage at the very least. So you're probably gonna have to spend a top 60 pick on that guy if you want him on your roster. I mean, I would love to have a replacement at the dime linebacker. I just don't know if the value is going to be there based on some of the other needs that the Chiefs will have. And I also think that they could probably find another guy to replace Ben Neiman a little bit later in the draft. Not as good, but you can probably find an upgrade there still. All right, apnerdsquad at gmail.com questions. You can email there if you don't have Twitter. Don't want to leave a five-star review, whatever. Uh, Kevin uh, reached out and said, Hey, chaps, what is the chance Brett Feach pivots and applies his natural aggression towards accumulating extra picks this year and in future years? For example, they trade back for an early second-round pick and gain an extra round pick in 2022 if they believe an early second-round pick this year will bag one of their primary targets. Seems like getting early extra or extra early-round picks in subsequent years is the way forward. I generally think that trading back is not really an aggressive strategy. I think that only works when you're rebuilding a team. That said, yeah, I think the Chiefs every single season would be willing to trade back a few spots if they had 10 guys that they thought were all equal on the board. We've heard the last couple years after the draft about the tiers of players they have available when they've selected. Last year, the Chiefs came out and said, hey, we were trying to trade back, and guess what? The phones went dead as soon as the last quarterback was taken a couple picks ahead of us. We could no longer trade back. Nobody wanted to come up. So they're more than willing to trade back, probably pick up future picks, maybe just more picks in this draft. You never know what the offer is going to be. So it's fully in the cards. I just think that they rely heavily on this kind of tiered system. So it all depends on who's available when they pick and if they think they can get that same guy later or not. All right, let's jump to the Twitter questions. Just DRK29, do you think Austin Ryder is waiting out the Chiefs, hoping to land a multi-year deal while the club wants a one-year deal? You know, this is an interesting one. I think Austin Ryder's in a really good spot right now for the simple fact that he's the last real starting center left on the market. He's a guy that has a ton of experience starting for a good offense over the last couple seasons. That's going to appeal to a lot of people. He's been a competent snapper of the football, something you can't say for every center sign this <laughs> offseason. He can snap a football, so that's going well. He has helped Patrick Mahomes call protections. He's a smart guy. He's a good athlete. 
Somebody out there is going to pay him some money. I do think the Chiefs are like sitting back, waiting for him to not get the deal he expects just to come back into Kansas City. So we'll see how it plays out. It keeps going forward. The Clan McLean. How many receiving yards does Clyde Edwards-Alaire finish with in 2021? I like this question. Uh, definitely more than he did last year. Uh, I think he'll. I think he'll break 500 this year. Uh, I think he was relatively close to that last season, but I think he'll break 500 in the passing game. Um, and they need him to. I mean, they need to get him more involved. Uh, there's a lot of uncertainty around some of the other, you know, ancillary weapons of this team. We know who the, the top two guys are, but I think they need some more consistency out of the running back uh, position. I think they need to get him more involved. And um, hopefully he gets to flex that muscle because he was so impressive coming out of, high, out of college, and, and we really haven't got to see that. Uh, manifest itself. Steve Gray Jr., which prospects pro day has surprised you in a positive way and which prospects pro day has changed your opinion in a negative way? In a positive way, um, Derek Barnes, a player that I've been a fan of out of Purdue for a while. I talked about him recently. Um, He had an excellent pro day. 9.33 RAS just absolutely blew the doors off of it. Came in a little bit lighter than he played last year and the year before. We already know he's a smart player. He's a very versatile player. I love him as a linebacker to target, but honestly, you test like that and you're smart and you have that kind of versatility, you're probably going to go a lot higher than we expect. And then another guy that I loved, the opposite of that, Uh, Out of Arizona, Lorenzo Burns, a guy that's kind of a do-it-all player in the secondary, would definitely fit in a Steve Spagnuolo scheme because he plays in the slot, he can play on the boundary, he plays some deep safety, just really a versatile piece that will hit and be aggressive and is a good blitzer, had one of the all-time bad pro days for a cornerback, just absolutely awful and every single facet so I was a little bit disappointed there guy that I was a little bit higher on as a sleeper but man just a lot of questions now from that kind of player the one that surprised me in a good way is Patrick Sertan the second I mean not that he was ever a bad player but if you had a concern about him it was going to be the long speed or more importantly like his burst his ability to click and close on something he came out on this pro day not only did he run crazy fast at a freak of nature alien size, I mean, what he ended up at six two, like two hundred eight pounds. Yeah, something like that. So yeah. it's ridiculous. With super long arms as well, like he is just a freak of nature. He almost decides like a linebacker trying to play cornerback. But then his athletic testing, the actual speed, agility, explosion numbers were also off the charts. I mean, this guy was jumping out of the gym, running all over the place. The only knock anybody had on him was, oh, he's not fast or quote-unquote explosive, he came out and showed you that he has that raw ability. So maybe if you didn't see it on the field, maybe you just weren't seeing the play correctly. So that was a good one. Bad one, poor one out for our guy, Jalen Mayfield, offensive tackle from Michigan. It was only a matter of time before one of these tackles tested poorly. It was him. I was completely shocked that his jumps weren't fantastic. He is one of the most explosive players I thought I'd seen on tape. But this guy just came out here He couldn't jump very well. He didn't run fast. And the most concerning thing for me, it's been a couple days. I haven't seen his arm length number yet. 
And going into his pro day, it was questionable if he was going to have 33-plus inch arms. The fact that I didn't see anybody pimping out his arm length the day of makes me think they were definitely below. Hold up. Jalen Mayfield, 32-and-a-half-inch arms, posted today. Yes, posted today. R.I.P. G.I.P. Garden play. Oh, Jalen. That's so depressing. Uh, a guy for me that really impressed Brady Christensen, the offensive tackle out of BYU. Uh, and he's a guy that was being very much talked up by Duke Manyweather as a guy that was going to have, you know, turn some heads. And he absolutely did. He's a guy that, I mean, we, we use relative athletic score and, you know, everything outside of maybe just kind of his height and weight metrics, which aren't the best for, you know, the tackle position, but, you know, an exceptional vertical, 34 inch vertical, 10 foot, four inch broad, 4.9 or 4.9 40, 40 yard dash. Just some really impressive numbers. 4.52 shuttle, 7.33 second three cones. Some really impressive numbers there. He's interesting, and I, I I don't know how old he is, so he might be an older prospect. He's anywhere between 24 and 27. Uh, so it'll be interesting to find out uh, how old he is, but I think there's a lot to like about him and the quality athletic profile he possesses. He's definitely turned some heads this offseason or this you know entire process after testing like that. A guy that I'm disappointed in, I'm going to go to a running back, and I'm going to go to Larry Roundtree out of Missouri, who I was a little bit more optimistic that he was going to have a higher athletic profile, especially watching some more film late in the process, seeing him string some moves together. Um, I never thought he was a guy that was really going to be able to turn the corner and really you know, run away from people, but I thought he would test a little bit better than he did. But uh, I think you know the athletic profile is actually a little bit weaker than I anticipated. And that's a little bit disappointing because it was a guy that I kind of started to like late in the process and started to root for a little bit more. But um, I still think he's a quality player. I still think he's a guy that, you know, you want in the bottom of your, you know, running back rotation as part of a, um, as part of a committee. But man, I, he doesn't have the juice and it's very apparent. And I was a little bit more optimistic and hopeful about that before that. Uh, the Chiefs fan 24 with his pro day behind us. What are your thoughts on Landon Dickerson? Well, the pro day has nothing to do with my thoughts on Landon Dickerson, <laughs> except for I love him a little bit more because he's willing to mess with Mac Jones. Uh, and, you know, he doesn't allow people at the ankles of Mac Jones, but he has no problem being at the ankles of Mac Jones make, messing with him. Uh, I really look, he's a he's a really fun player. He's a very good player. He's the highest rated interior offensive lineman in the KC draft guide. It is all going to come down the medicals and your comfortability with his medicals moving forward. That's really the haze in the barn for him. Film wise, great player. Just tons of questions about his medicals. Curl scouts of USA. I go, this is interesting. We're, this is, this is rumor mill. This is rumor mill season. I go to the same massage therapist. A lot of BYU prospects go to, he told me the other day that Matt Bushman has received a lot of interest from one team, the Kansas City Chiefs. A torn Achilles in the beginning of 2020, but I feel like this is a typical Brett Veach move. How high would you draft him, Matthew? I don't know if I should like cover myself and talk very nice about him since there's apparently reported heavy interest or if I should <laughs> just come off here off the top rope. Um, 
Bat- Matt Bushman is what you would expect out of a BYU tight end. You know, like he's he's good. He's fine. He's a good college tight end. But when you're looking at making that jump to the NFL, there doesn't seem to be top level athleticism, not particularly great size. He just kind of seems like a guy that's going to get lost in the shuffle at the next level. Everything that he does really well in college is going to result to just being kind of average at best in the NFL for like a backup depth guy. So I would draft him late in day three if I were to even draft him. I'm not sure how old he is. Being a BYU guy, you never know how old he is then coming off of an injury. I mean, you could be drafting a 25-year-old tight end coming off of an injury. Kent shaking over there just at the thought of it. Visibly shaky. Uh, I think it's a. I think it's an Andy Reid mo- move to be interested in Matt Bushman more than a Veach move, because Andy Reid loves his BYU guys. David made a seven. How much would you freak out if the Chiefs start next season without adding any other offensive lineman other than whatever, if any, they get in the draft? I mean, it's hard to freak out too terribly much at this point because I look around at the offensive linemen that are left. I don't really love a lot of them. I know we talked about Russell Okung, and that would be fine, but he's always hurt. Alejandro Villanueva is taking a step back. So I don't look at the free agent group and I say, hey, I need my team to go out and get one of those guys. Now, do I think that they will still? Yes. But if that's the case, and they're drafting an offensive lineman high, I want to see them play. I want Andy to give him the reins. And I want him to grow and learn and be on the field because we have seen too many times with this Chiefs team that they will draft a young offensive lineman or acquire a young offensive lineman or maybe even have a better offensive lineman in our eyes. And Andy Heck and Andy Reid will stick with established players because they love the continuity. They like playing the same five guys all season. And it's worked. I'm not saying that it's wrong, but... If they have no choice but to start a rookie, you're going to maximize that rookie contract, give him the chance to go out there and win the job full-time immediately. Uh, I think there's a non-zero chance that the Chiefs just roll with whoever they get in the draft along the offensive line. So you might you might expect that, frankly. Chandler W. Is it a massive step back, though? I mean, is it a yeah. massive step back from what they got? From right now? Market? Yeah. Chandler W78, what team would be desperate enough to reach in round run one for Kyle Trask, and why is it the Bears? The Bears are better at quarterback than Kyle Trask already right now. I know Mac Jones might sneak in there, but there's a sizable gap for me between a Mac Jones and a Kyle Trask. I don't. I have zero faith in Kyle Trask to develop into an NFL starter. Just zero. I don't. I, the more I watch him, the the less I like him. I think he is a non-athlete kind of pretending to be an athlete every now and then. I think he has no arm talent. I think he has shaky ball placements and I don't think he's a problem solver. I there's just I I'm sorry. But I how just, does he carry his elbows? Very important. Uh it, it, he doesn't quite have the Kellen Mond elbow factor which he's got which is good for him. But there are still just a lot of other red flags for me. Uh, I, I've, I've got a very important question here before I get it, you know, to this final question. I need to know how to pronounce, pronunciate 
Dog Doge. Is it Doge? D-O-G-E, Dogecoin. Doge? Is that how it is? I'm, I'm asking you're, Craig. You're asking me about a pronunciation. I am looking I am looking now at the pronunciation, and it looks like it is Doge. I believe it's Doogie, like no. uh, Doogie. Nope. It I, is think, I think that's correct. I'm reading it right now. So if you want to look, I will send you the link, Matt. But how do you pronounce GIF? It's GIF. It's GIF. I don't care what the I don't know I don't care what the creator of GIF wants it to be. Society has told him, and he is wrong. He is in the he's on the wrong side of history. Doge Daddy asks, "What grade would you give the Chiefs offseason thus far?" I'd say a D plus, unless they grab all the remaining decent free agents at bargain deals. They'll have more roster holes next year than they did at the end of last year, which is scary. Well, obviously a little bit has changed since Doge Daddy asked this question with Jaron Reed, so there is some uh, some changes here. But as we sit currently, grade the off season, Craig. I I think it's I think it's a D. I really do. I don't think that you can go into the draft with this big of a hole at left tackle, and I know they tried. But participation awards uh, in off seasons don't really matter. I mean, like you gotta land some of these deals, and that's what the problem is. Like in a vacuum, missing on the guys that they missed on. Sure, you can explain every single one of them. And I get every single one of them. And there's a good reason behind every single one of them. But you still have roster holes. The Chiefs have one of the fewest groups of players available to them next year. They will only have 24 players. And a lot of people are ready to move on from some of those players. So that's not going to make things any easier in the future. They needed to land a couple of guys. Free agency is where you can fill with top dollar good players under multiple years. Yes, it costs more. That's the price you pay for playing in free agency, but that's part of how you build your roster in the future as well. It's not one-year deals. It's these two- and three- and four-year deals that we've seen the Chiefs sign that have been the most impactful deals thus far, and they missed out on all of them. And that is unfortunate because now, like like Doge Daddy said, it's going to come down to next year, them having to fill so many more holes. That's rough. And Reed is great, and I like him in this fit. He's a very spagsy guy, but he honestly doesn't move the needle significantly because he's going to play well probably this year but then they're going to need to fill holes again next year. And when I'm viewing free agency, I'm not looking at who accumulated the most one-year deals to try and fill roster spots. I'm looking at how you built this team and how the future looks. And in that regard, it doesn't look great. Yeah, let me let me go ahead and set the table here because I'm in a similar boat with Craig and that I don't see free agency as directly impacting only this upcoming season. If that's the way you're looking at free agency, you are doing it entirely incorrectly and you kind of need to recalibrate the process. Free agency isn't about how to only make your team better that year. It's about setting it up for success in the future. And that does include the money you pay guys, how long you pay them for, the guys you get on multi-year deals, who you bring in. This is all stuff that started last year. Talked a lot about it last year. The Chiefs are doing a terrible job at setting this roster up for the future. We're now getting to that point. Like Craig just said, 
they have one of the lowest amount of guys under contract next year. And how many guys do they now have expiring at the end of 2022 as well on top of that? Like this roster is not set up in the long term. Then you add in the fact this free agency period, they haven't done a whole lot. I would say a C for an offseason is bringing back every single person that was a free agent on a one-year deal at market value. So if that's what a C is, if it's completely, absolutely no improvement going forward, nothing for the future gets you a C, this has got to be a middle of the pack D, even with the Jerron Reed signing, which is a good one. They paid him a good amount of money to make them better briefly for this season and this season alone. It doesn't fill a need. They didn't fill a need by signing Jerron Reed. They haven't filled any one of the needs they had at the end of last season in, ter- last season in terms of sub-average starters. They haven't really done anything except pay a guard the most money any guard has ever received in NFL history the year after drafting a linebacker and a running back in the first two rounds. Start thinking about the positions the team's prioritizing with their money and their draft picks and try to tell me why you shouldn't be worried about the direction they're going. Well, and look at the holes they have at the key positions of you know, the most important positions. Uh, I'm going to give them a D as well. I like the Jaron Reed move a lot. I think we all do. I like the Joe Tooney move for the most part. I think I understand why they did it. They wanted to secure a blue chip while making a run at another blue chip. I think the team is finally paying for the sins of the 2018 draft because a defensive end right now would be a lot of help. A dime linebacker would be a lot of help right now, but they failed miserably. And they just added depth along the interior of the defensive line for the one position that they had a lot of success in with in the 2018 draft. They're paying for the sins of the draft. They don't have a lot of long-term answers on this roster, as you said. And I do want to I do want to be fair at the same time. Because I think to some degree, some of this is out of their control. I am not they should they should have closed more deals than they have. I'm not arguing that point. I do think to some degree, you know, there is a little bit of a lack of control that you have in this process. Uh, but not enough for me to warrant a ton of credit for them. The other uh, the other thing I'll just say is I think the Eric Fisher situation tearing his Achilles late in this year dropped a nuclear bomb into their plans but that's honestly I don't feel too bad because that's how this is kind of how Brett Veach has operated he's operated on a thin line and you know he's they've they went out and made some aggressive moves last year to secure some guys and then their left tackle got hurt late and now they're having to try to figure that whole thing out on the fly and you know He's operated with thin margins as it was, and now he's got to try to figure that out as well. And they haven't. I give it a D. I don't like it, but I do understand a little bit of stuff here. Go, Maddie. Oh, yeah. No, Kit, I just wanted you to uh, come in when I said, why would you not like the direction this team's coming? I wanted you to yell at me because we still have Patrick LeVon Mahomes. So, like, that's why you should 100% like the direction of the team. I, I was setting you up to come at me and tell me that they still had Patrick Mahomes, and that's why you have to continue to be excited. Matt, we are like four days away from being for the due date of the KC draft guide. I have zero desire to be set up. I have zero desire to go full Rant Swanson. I'm sorry. 
I just want to throw out there because I know the initial response is going to be to that that conversation that we just had is going to be, yeah, but they're still going to be good. Yes, they are. They are. They've got a lot of stars. They got a good coaching staff, and you got the best player in the league. They're going to be good. They're going to win the AFC West. They are going to the playoffs, and they will probably win a playoff game or two. It remains to be seen how they'll be able to close that. There is a path to success, big, big success next year for this team. It's just not a particularly, I mean, you're really chancing don't a you, lot of don't things. Don't you want a little margin in your life? I, I, that's the part that I love. I, I, I love a little the, margin. I want to be clear-cut, definitive, best football team in the world. Well, that's what it all comes down to, though. When your entire process of winning is completely predicated on having the better coach and the better quarterback, then when one of those things doesn't happen, see the Super Bowl, see the 2018 AFC Championship game. When one of those things doesn't happen, you need a roster not just full of holes like a piece of Swiss cheese to come in and carry the slack. That's what the Chiefs currently don't have because the roster construction has been very up and down over the last three years. That's the whole point. It's not that the Chiefs can't go out and win a Super Bowl this next season. It's Patrick Mahomes has to play great. Andy Reid has to outcoach the other team because if not, they don't have not only the depth in terms of starters, but the depth behind their starters to cover for those two things not happening. Eat Arby's. That's going to do it for the AP Laboratory mailbag slash Jaron Reed celebration. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back on Wednesday with the AP Draft Show. Catch you later.